0: Good morning. Uh, Thank you for joining us here at Christ Fellowship. Uh, We are honored to be able to worship with everyone today. Uh, I'm going to use this mic again. My voice is almost recovered, but not entirely. Um, If you would turn over to John chapter 4. So this morning, I would like to read uh, from one of my personal favorite accounts of Christ's redemptive and unmerited forgiveness. Um, This is one of my favorite accounts in all of Scripture. Uh, This is one that Paula and I probably know pretty well. This is one we did at Easter several years ago. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to read through verses 1 through 42. So let's start in verse 1. I'm reading out of the ESV. Was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So let's pause right here for a minute. I know that my strengths are more, uh, I'm much more of a teacher than I am a preacher. So if that's how this comes across, I apologize. It's just my default setting. So I'm trying to get out of that. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. But uh, I want us to set the stage. I wanted to read those uh, six verses and kind of explain what's going on here Um, because I don't want to just read the text. I want us to understand its proper context and um, why these little details matter that it's mentioning here. So just as a, a brief backup, Christ has come of age uh, in his ministry. Okay, we know that he, um, you can go through the story of him growing up, but at this point in time, he's an adult, he's a mature adult that is now going out and is proclaiming the gospel of himself. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, um, we know that he goes to be baptized by John the, John the Baptist. This was to fulfill prophecy. Then he begins to teach and preach with the authority as the Christ. Okay, so I want to, I got this picture up here for us to look at this map. Um, because we see Christ, it says he's traveling from Judea to Samaria. So, you can kind of see these um, two landscapes here. And it says he's on his way to Galilee. Okay, th- this is now this is important. Um, and we'll get into this uh, a little bit later, um, but I would submit to you, you know, people have this idea that the Jews, the Jews here would travel through Samaria solely because it was on the way to Galilee, which probably for the most part was the case, um, but Jews thought so literally, or um, they belittled them so much, the Samarians, so much that they would actually, at times, if they could afford it, they would take boats around Samaria so they wouldn't have to pass through there. Again, I'll explain why in a minute. So the text says that they had to go through, that Christ had to go through there to get to Galilee, right? And when we read that, we're like, okay, that makes sense geographically. But what I want to submit to you today is that he didn't travel through Samaria because he was on his way to Galilee. He was traveling to Samaria because he intentionally because he had a divine appointment with a very specific individual. Okay, so this is something that we need to focus on here. So let's go through verses 7 through 9. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So again, we're at the well. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so Christ is at the well. This is Jacob's well that we read about in the Old Testament. And if you want to get into the history of why Jews and Samaritans didn't, or excuse me, Samaritans did not get along, read through the Old Testament. Okay, it's in I believe Second Kings. Um, so. Um, What I want to point out here is the time of day is important. Uh, If you look in uh, verse 7 in your Bible, it says, I'm I'm sorry, about um, verse 6, it says it was about the sixth hour of the day. Okay, so the sixth hour of the day. Why is that important? Because if you don't know, a Jewish day begins ordinarily at daybreak. Okay, so that's, that's the beginning of their day. So the sixth hour to us would be about noon. Okay, everybody follows me here. I think most of us already knew that. But this is important because why would a woman go to the well at high noon in the hot, hottest part of the day to get the most important thing that she needed for the day? You would think, which most people there did, is they would go to the well immediately when they got up. as Task number one go get water for the day. We gotta get water for our animals, we gotta get water for ourselves, fill in the blank, right? So this woman decides, I'm not going to go then. I'm going to go in the middle of the day, in the hottest part. Why? Um, It's because, and this is speculative to a degree, but there is merit behind this. Um, It's most likely because this woman was shunned by her own society and community. And she was so shunned that it was too humiliating for her to face them in the morning. So, instead, she decides to draw water when no one else is there, or so she thought, right? So, again, she encounters Christ sitting at Jacob's well. Now, when we see these pictures, uh, you see see these uh, artist depictions. You know, it does say that Christ, because he was weary from travel, which I'm sure he was, but a lot of times we see these pictures where he's leaning up against the well, and he's sweating, and he's like going, "Woo!" right? I don't think that is accurate at all. I believe Christ is sitting there waiting expectantly for her. Let's look at verse 10. It says, "'Jesus answered her, "'If you knew the gift of God "'and who it is that is saying to you, "'Give me a drink,' "'you would have asked him, "'and he would have given you living water. "'And the woman said to him, "'Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, "'and the well is deep. "'Where do you get that living water? "'Are you greater than our, our father Jacob?' He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pause here for a second. Because she asked a question, are you greater than Jacob? Now, when we're reading in here, we're like, ah, Jesus kind of avoided the question. He did not. If you read it in its correct context, he says, yes. Yes, I am greater than Jacob. Because Jacob's well and this water that Jacob has provided for you, is temporary. The water that I give is everlasting. So, whoever drinks of this water uh, will never be in want again. They will be completely satisfied, That's what we talked about a little bit this morning. And not only that, but it will make you a well of this living water yourself. When we Christians drink of this water that gives eternal life, what are we then charged with? We're then charged with taking this message, this water that's been given to us, and to give to others. But I would challenge you that it's more than just a, a call to do this. But it, it is an absolute re, a requirement. right? And not only a requirement, but if you are a true Christian, it's unavoidable. So what I mean by this is a few years ago, I found, found myself in the truck, uh, as we do with state employees, uh, sitting with two other individuals, Right? We're on our way back from Coleman, and I don't even know how we got on the topic, and when I thought back about it, I started laughing because somehow I pulled the gospel out of some, you know, completely irrelevant topic, and I talked, which y'all know I like to talk, but I talked from Coleman to Joppa, and by the time we got back, both of them were looking at me, and they go, why are you even bringing this up, right? Why are you even talking about this? We weren't even talking about this, and and we were kind of laughing, but I told them the only answer that I knew, it's because I must, right? What I'm telling you, me telling you the gospel, I'm telling you the gospel because I have to. Not because I have to, like, okay, well, God told me I need to. That is important. But I have to because I can't contain it. If if I have drank of this living water and it becomes a well within me, we're told that our cup will overflow. So what, and I told them, what you are getting Is the overflow? I can't keep this to myself. I can't. As a Christian, I cannot keep this message to myself. So not only do we find ways to interweave the gospel in our conversations, we can't help but we can't escape it. Right? Me and Cameron talk about this all the time. We are so starkly different in our walks of life, even our ages, but we always come back to the gospel. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. We can be talking about the Halo games, and I know as silly as that is, this is a real thing, and we ended up on the gospel. How we can't help it, we can't help it. So my well has been filled, and it is overflowing. So this Samaritan woman, uh, this Samaritan woman, she's still missing the point. Let's get back to this, right? She's she's missing the point because she's like, well, uh, this water you're talking about, what it is? What is it exactly? Because she's beginning to understand, but not entirely. And again, we talked about this this morning. It's because it hasn't entirely been revealed to her yet at this point. But the veil is, being, is beginning to be pulled away. So she then asks for this water. And why is she asking? Because this water, she believes, is a physical quenching. right? She thinks she is about to be physically satisfied. Hey, this is a miracle. I've heard of some miracles going on in these lands. Maybe this guy can provide water for me physically, and I don't have to come back here. But at the same time, she's beginning to understand. So uh, then Jesus reveals himself to her plainly. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. It says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Here's the scary part. Right? I love this line. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. You're right. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The veil has been pulled back. She's beginning to understand. She understands now to a degree who she's talking to. So, <laughs> excuse me, I imagine the scene is, is very similar to when Christ was resurrected and Mary is looking for him, right? And, and she sees him, or excuse me, she hears him, and she's talking to him, and then he says, Mary. And he just says her name. And immediately she recognizes him. And that's the word I'm, the intentional word I'm using there. She recognizes him as the Christ. So she begins to see Jesus, this Samaritan woman. She begins to see him for who he is. Now, I can imagine when he says this to her, that she is terrified and in complete reverence, I imagine her eyes welling up, and she's probably about to fall on her face in worship. But she's hesitant, and we're about to read this. She has to be sure exactly who this is. So when I read this next, this next bit, she's asking a question in the form of a statement. Look in uh, verse nineteen. So the woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet.'" See, this is what I mean by she wants to be sure who he is. I know you're at least a prophet, but could this be? This is my thinking in the back of her mind. Verse 20, "'Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, "'but you say that in Jerusalem uh, that in Jerusalem is the place "'where people ought to worship.'" And Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, the hour is coming "'when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem "'will you worship the Father.'" You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, period. Now, when I was writing this and getting this prepared, that one sentence gave me goosebumps. I who am speaking to you am he. Could you imagine being her, having the veil completely torn? She sees Christ as the Christ. She sees him in his glory. She understands exactly who it is that she's been speaking to. And with the full revelation, which we've talked about for the past couple weeks in Sunday school, the full revelation of what was being said all along, right? She now knows and understands what he's talking about. Understanding exactly who he is has revealed to her the nature of her heart. She now knows that she was only concerned with the physical and when the Son of the Most High God has been communicating to her spirit this whole time. He says, I who speak to you am he. So when I hear that, how it makes me, how I ought to fall on my face. How glorious is it that he, the God of the universe, has spoken directly to us. And we've talked about this this morning. He he speaks directly to us, to our spirits, through his word. Praise God for his goodness and his kindness. And now that I hear this account, I can only have envy for her in a way that I wish I was there. I wish I was in his presence in that same way. Terrified, but in complete understanding of who he is in front of him so that I could worship him. So I imagine she was about to do the same thing. And what happens? Verse 27 says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, particularly a Samaritan woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left, uh, left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, I doubt that she walked back to the village, right? I bet she sprinted like John and Paul, but John beat him, right? <laughs> I bet she sprinted as fast as she could back to this to this vill- village with all fervency. So I want us to pay attention to this because if you see the Samaritan woman in verse 1 and now you look at the Samaritan woman in verse 30, it's a completely different woman. In verse 1, we see a Samaritan woman who is solely concerned with her own perception. She's con- so concerned, in fact, that she doesn't want to be around anyone else because she's humiliated for her Adulterous sins. But what does she do when she encounters Christ? She runs back to meet these people who shunned her, whom she had no intention of associating herself with. And she went and found them. It doesn't say she just goes back and stands in the middle of the square. I imagine she found everybody she could and said, Come and see. Her motivations have changed. Her nature has changed. And we begin hearing how how when she approaches the well for her daily needs, when the others were humiliating her, that she couldn't think about not telling that individual. So she is compelled with the gospel. She is compelled with the truth. It is the overflow. So her focus has now shifted from herself to Christ. This is only possible through the redemption and the purchase of Christ. The only way that our eyes can shift from self to Christ is through Christ. Only God can give us the desire for him. Let's look at uh, verses thirty-one, thirty-two. It says, so she runs back. The disciples come. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now this sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's look back in verse 33 of John. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Now I want you to pay attention to this this parable he's talking about here. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, that for which you do not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So I want to explain this for a second. Christ says to his disciples, look, lift up your eyes, right? Lift up your eyes. Look at the crowd that's coming. Look at the crowd that this woman is bringing. This is the harvest, and they're ready for harvest, right? Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Look, this Samaritan woman whom you were condemning for being here, or even being next to me. This woman is reaping the harvest that I have sown. And now we should all rejoice. But you're condemning her. How can you condemn her when I sent you, my disciples, to reap the harvest that neither did you sow? This is what he's explaining to them. Now we can all rejoice in the harvest even though one sows and another reaps. So why did Christ Come and stop in Samaria. Was it because there was no other way? Was it because it was the shortest route? No. The very next sentence tells us precisely why. And it was for this purpose. John four thirty nine. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, listen to this, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So what was Christ's purpose for going to Samaria? It was for the same purpose that he created the universe. It was for the same reason that he permitted us to turn from him in the Garden of Eden. It was for the same reason that he carried his people out of Egypt. It was for the same reason he allowed his people to return to bondage under Caesar. It was for the same reason that he announced his coming into the world through Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph. It is for the same reason that he was tempted in all ways, yet sinned not. It's for the same reason that he willingly went to the cross to die in order to purchase you back out of the bondage of sin. It is for the same reason that he conquered death and ascended into heaven as the only true and living God. And it is for the same reason that he will return and conquer and reclaim this fallen creation. It was, it is, and it always will be for his glory. That's why he went to Samaria. That's why he did all these things, is so that his glory might be revealed to all creation. So, when we we hear these, these stories, especially when we're younger in our faith, do we even think for a moment that God's intent was to redeem only the Jews? You know, we talk about this with Jews and the Gentiles. That the reason we are even allowed to be grafted in is for the Jews to be jealous. Does that mean that God's intention was for the Jews alone? No. You know, when people want to, they say, well, over, you look after the resurrection, when Peter and Paul are out witnessing, and they're saying, salvation's for the Gentiles also. Christ is saying it here before he was crucified. We clearly see that God, in his perfect sovereignty, preordained the redemption of the Gentiles. Christ went to this Samaritan woman so that his glory might be revealed even through this sinful woman to his own disciples. It was to show all creation that he and he alone is is deserving of this glory and honor. To show that there is nothing too difficult that he can't overcome. There's no one too far gone that his hand cannot reach and that there is nowhere that his authority does not reign supreme and complete. So church, I'm talking myself here as much as I am anyone else. I plead with us now to not only comprehend, but to apprehend that this same Jesus, this Jesus whom revealed himself to this Samaritan woman, is revealing himself to you today through his word, which we've talked about in depth today. Only this Jesus, this Jesus of the scriptures, Not these other versions of Jesus that we might be hearing about. Only the Jesus of the holy word of God, who is the true and living God, only he has the authority to forgive you of all unrighteousness and to do so completely. So in the words of John Crawford, run to him. So I beckon you, taste this living water that comes only from the source that is him. Now, I want to cover two quick things. Perhaps you have drank from a well of some kind that does not satisfy, and you must constantly return to You know, we talked about this when we buy something, right? That's a great example because that's what I was going to use. It's great because I was going to use it. Um, no, that's a great example. We think we need something. i got to have it. I can't live without this new griddle that my wife bought me, right? And as soon as I get it, I'm like, now I need this other thing over here. That's drinking from a well, and I know this a silly, it's a silly analogy there, but that is drinking from a well that is only physical, that is only meant to satisfy the flesh. And the reason we do that, and then when that no longer satisfies us and we chase something else, is because our focus is on our flesh. So if you have drank from that well, and you are experiencing having to return to the well. Return to whatever it may be, whether it be your job, uh, pornography, um, whatever it could be, your academics even. And these things are are returning void. I would challenge you to examine yourself to see if you've truly drank from this living water. But, perhaps you've tasted this living water, yet we get bogged down by this corrupt world and the sin that we constantly buy into because we have not entirely put to death our flesh, perhaps it tends to bog us down a little bit. I would challenge you today, don't fret, don't wallow in doubt, but rest in the knowledge that the Lord of all creation has sealed you through the purchase of his sacrifice, and there is none that can snatch you from his hand. Instead, when you're struggling, which you will, praise him for his holy, righteous, and unmerited grace. Because then your focus will be back on the right thing. I want to read out of uh, Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So seek him and run to him.